I mean, I try and have a little bit of fun, and it's, are we starting this thing or what? <laughs> you guys make me sick. Then why are you here? No one's making you be here. Yeah, you guys are. <laughs> no, we're not. We just simply send a link, and then whoever wants to click it gets on the show. Yeah, but we only send it to three people. <laughs> right, but there's nothing in that email that says you have to click this or we're going to hunt your family down. I actually put in the email that there's nudie pictures of Robert Downey Jr. and Ethan clicks it every time. <laughs> uh, I, I'm meaning to put send to spam. I'm not meaning to bring it up. Oh, sure. Mm. <laughs> Sick RDJ is not even a celebrity crush of mine. <laughs> so you are admitting that there may be some celebrity males that way. Forget the face tattoo that says RDJ. It's about something different. <laughs> is it Henrik Lundqvist? <sighs> and with that... We welcome you to Big Banter, ladies and gentlemen. You have come to the place of Big Ten aplenty, and boy, oh boy, do we have a jam-packed episode for you today, because the Big Ten West, um, well, we're going to get into that a little bit later on in the episode, but the Big Ten East has two very good teams, we know. It two, okay. Two elite teams, because if you're a top five team in college football, you're elite. So two elite teams in the Big Ten West, which only one other conference can say that at this point, I think. Um, and that would be the SEC. Uh, but they're not in the same they're not in the same division in the SEC. So they they get to play each other in the Big Ten championship game. So, boys, Alex. Lead us in. Yeah, let's go for it. Make sure you like and subscribe wherever you're listening. Uh, follow on the socials at B1G Banter Pod on Instagram and Threads, and then at B1G Banter on the X. Yes, sir. Yes. Corey, real quick before we jump into this, I know Alex normally has us say something nice to the people. I want you to give the people your absolute favorite sporting event that you've never been to so it's like the number one bucket list i wish i could go to this sporting event give that to the people real quick real quick reason why wow you're gonna put me on the spot like that uh i have two but i'll keep them very very quick number one i would love to go to the rose bowl for the rose bowl game doesn't matter if michigan's playing in it or not i think just like the history behind it uh and on TV, it is the most aesthetically pleasing bowl game that's out there. And it's just like, I want to go to Southern California and watch football in absolutely stunning weather. Great pick. Fantastic pick. And then number two, uh, I want to go to the Battle for Atlantis, the basketball tournament. It's the midseason tournament. That's maybe not as um, glamorous. Is that in Hawaii? No, it's in the Bahamas. It's oh. like in the ballroom of the Atlantis Hotel. And they just like send like eight teams there. Michigan's playing in it this year and they've played in it once and won it before. 
I think that would be so dope. You like go down a bunch of water slides and then, oh yeah, Michigan tips off at 12 in the ballroom. I'm going to go watch them play. I love how Corey was like, oh, thanks for putting me on the spot. I've got two answers immediately. (laughs) (laughs) People people are going to listen to this and be like, they totally set that up. I promise we did not. Corey just has that in the bag. No, I'm just a psychopath because all of my disposable income just goes towards sporting events. I I was trying to crunch the numbers and figure out a way for me to get to Maryland this weekend for this Michigan-Maryland game. But uh, Thanksgiving is not, uh, uh, let's just say, helpful to the wallet. And uh, I will be staying in Indianapolis, most likely. Teardrops on my guitar. You can stay at my house if you want. It's driving distance to Maryland. Hmm. Interesting. Grace, can Corey stay the night if he goes to the Maryland game? She said yes. Cool. <laughs> awesome. And I, and we don't have a bedtime either. <laughs> nice. All right. Let's start off. We're recording this on Tuesday night, which, by the way, people, if you haven't noticed what you haven't because this is our first week doing this episodes are going to probably be delayed by like a day ish at least the first episode because we want to record after the cfp rankings come out so we can react so they just came out let's look at this real quick we'll let you know where the big 10 teams are at so iowa comes in at 16 they got a pretty big bump after their blowout win against rutgers penn state drops from 10 to 12 after losing to michigan at home michigan stays at three and Ohio State actually drops to two, um, but it wasn't anything of their own doing. They blew out Michigan State. Georgia jumped from two to one because they beat Ole Miss, who is at 13. So Georgia now has wins of Ole Miss and um, Missouri. So the nine and 13 ranked teams, which are why they're up at number one now. So there's not a huge change here. Florida State rounds out the top four. Um. But after this weekend, Penn State is officially eliminated. They're not making the college football playoff with two losses. So Penn State fans, that hope is gone. Michigan and Ohio State, they both they both do have multiple ways to make the playoff. But if they lose the game, it gets very, very, very difficult. There are so many like very good teams. Like there's a few elite teams, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State. And then after that, you get into the Florida State all the way down to Bama at eight tier. And they're all very good. They're all capable of winning their conference, of going to the playoff. So Michigan and Ohio State, they control their own destiny. That's going to be their best bet to make the playoff, obviously. I want to hop in real quick because <clears throat> I want to get your guys' take on something before we dive into the uh, Michigan-Penn State game, which we are going to do a deep dive on, so hang on for that. Um, so right now, I, this is more of a football in the broad spectrum because it ties into the top two teams in the Big Ten. And once again, we're having the conversation like we did last year about can they both make the playoff? Well, I'm, I'm starting to look at Alabama and what they're doing. And the SEC is 100% getting two teams in if Alabama wins the SEC championship game. They will not kick Georgia out. Not happening. And Alabama 
will most likely get the one seed. Uh, it, well, no, they can't put them over an undefeated Michigan team um, or an undefeated Ohio State team. So either of those teams would get the one seed, but they would get the two and the four. And I'm just wondering where you guys are kind of at right now with Alabama, because I think there's been a maturation process that's happened with them. And I really do think that we need to start paying attention to what's going on in the, the top two with the SEC, because it is, it is directly going to affect us in the Big Ten. I mean, we've been looking at Alabama for the past couple of weeks. They've strung together, you know, a couple of pretty impressive wins. Uh, and uh, Alex, at the beginning of the year, thought that they were going to be uh, in the college football playoff in the first place. And then they finally figured out the quarterback uh, situation, and now they're playing some pretty good football. Um, I can tell you this. Nick Saban has the reputation, and I'm a thousand percent positive that if Alabama takes care of business, nobody's going to want to play them. It does not matter if they're ranked two, three, or four. If Alabama figures out a way to escape this season with only one loss, I mean, they're, they're, they're just as much about to win this whole thing as any of the other teams that are in the college football playoff. Uh, and listen, Milrow, that's his name, right? Uh, I want to make sure I get that correct. Uh, has looks like a completely different player than he did at the beginning of the year. And that is horrifying. The guy is an athletic freak uh, and can do it all. And that's... Yeah, I, I think... And the reason I wanted to do this is because we're really starting to get into that playoff picture. Um, and I, I think, you know, people are like, well, this is a Big Ten podcast. Well, this directly affects the Big Ten. This directly affects, can we get two teams in like we did last year? And we, we you know, we want to know if that's possible. Yeah, so let's break this down and figure out who's who Michigan and Ohio State are rooting for and who they're rooting against for possibly getting both of them in. And to make this conversation maybe a little bit shorter, does do any of us think Michigan has a chance to get in if they lose the game? Yes. I'm going to say no, and I think uh, a lot of that has to do with public perception. As soon as you give them a reason to doubt anything, the committee and everything else, I think that's going to be really difficult if they lose the game at home. My argument against that would be the exact same thing happened to Ohio State last year. Everybody put them in an absolute blast. Put them on blast for the way they lost to Michigan. This team can't go to the playoff. This team's soft. This team blah, 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 all this and that. Then what happened? We went through championship weekend where chaos breaks loose in championship weekend and it was like well who else can you put in you have to put them in you're not putting a two loss Alabama team in and and that's so I think absolutely there is but it would require Georgia to beat Alabama in the SEC championship game yeah so I I kind I tend to agree with Corey I don't think Michigan has a chance to get in because their schedule's too weak if they lose to Ohio State but Let's just, they're probably both rooting for the same people anyway. So let's have this conversation. <clears throat> Excuse me. You need Georgia to win out. You cannot have 
a one-loss Georgia non-SEC champ and a one-loss Bama SEC champ because that would cause all kinds of problems. So you're rooting for Bama to get a loss so, and for Georgia to win, win out. You need Penn State to keep winning, and you need Iowa to keep winning to make the Big Ten championship game look even better. Because if Iowa can be a top 15 team going into that game, that looks a heck of a lot better if you're put up against another undefeated conference champ. Yeah, but uh, that's not going to matter because the team who lost the game isn't going to get to play in that Big Ten championship game. So it's all going to be on it's all going to be on what happens outside of the Big Ten championship game. So if if Michigan loses, if Ohio State loses in that game, it will be all about what happens on championship Saturday. Okay, that that's true. I actually forgot about that. You're right. So Florida State, I, I feel like Florida State might be the most vulnerable here. Flor, Florida State, Washington, and Oregon. You need chaos to happen amongst those three teams. You need Florida State to lose a game because their conference is so soft that let's say they end up playing Louisville in the conference championship game and losing. They're out. They're 100% out at that point. And you would need to hope that the committee doesn't put it on one loss, Louisville, ACC chance. A one loss, lost one game. A one loss, Texas. Texas would be a big problem as well because they have that win against Alabama. And if Texas runs the table, uh, it doesn't. And Florida State loses, it doesn't really matter. You're going to put a big, a one loss Big Twelve Texas into the college football playoff over a one loss non Big Ten champion. You need so you can have you you need Washington to run the table and have them be in from the Pac-12. That that's fine. That can be the one other team. Then you have to have Florida State lose. You have to have Alabama lose in the SEC championship game, and you have to have Texas most likely lose the Big Twelve championship game. And then, and then I think it's almost a lock that Michigan and Ohio State get in. I think it's even more of a lock if Ohio State's the team that loses because let's say Florida State does lose to a one-loss Louisville in the ACC championship game. Then you're comparing a resume where Louisville does have a Florida State win, but I'm looking at the rest of this CFP top 25. Has Louisville beaten North Carolina? I don't think they played them. They, they beat Notre Dame. So you would have a common win, but Ohio State would also have a Penn State win. Yeah. Which would be huge. Yeah. And they would have, they would have a conference championship win against Florida State, who's a top four team. Louisville might get in in that case. Yeah. yeah. So, you, so you need a two-loss ACC champ. Yeah. Yeah, most likely. And I don't know who's left on Louisville's schedule, but it listen, the odds of the odds of it happening are not good. They're getting <laughs> they're getting slimmer the more I'm thinking about it. Yeah. The odds of it happening are not good, but I do I do think it is possible because I know there's only 3 weeks left in the season including championship weekend. But look what happened last year. We were this far out last year chaos ensued 
Louisville's last two games are against Miami, in Miami, and then at home against Kentucky. So those are two pretty difficult games as they close out their schedule. I wouldn't be surprised if they're a dog on the road to Miami. Let's look. We might have that line already. Uh, Louisville is a one-point favorite, but according to ESPN Analytics, they have a 46.1% chance to win. I'm I'm forbidding us to ever use the ESPN matchup predictor ever on this show. It's it's just it was just the metric to look at. It's never the metric to look at. It was, I I was just the metric to look at that on my phone. It was the easiest thing to access. Yeah, and St. John's had a uh, their thing said St. John's had like a sixty six percent chance to win last night against Michigan basketball. How'd that turn out? Well, Michigan is the top of the athletics world right now. Okay, so Alex, take us home. Yeah, if you're an Ohio State or Michigan fan, especially an Ohio State fan, well, honestly, either one, you need, you, you can only allow two other undefeated conference champs, and you need basically the rest of the conference champs to be two loss teams. I think that's the conclusion we're coming to. I wonder I wonder if there is a way. I don't know who they play in these last two weeks of the season. I wonder if there's a way, I'm sure there is, that the Pac-12 cannibalizes itself out of the playoff yet again. Well, Washington plays Oregon State this weekend, which will be a battle of one-loss teams. But Oregon State could win that, and then Oregon State could end up potentially being a one-loss Pac-12 champ. Didn't Oregon State just get their doors blown off by UCF? That was Oklahoma State. Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay. I was like, wait, they were ranked like 15th or something. What is Oregon State ranked? They are ranked 11th. So they'd get in. So they would get in. I As mean, a we, one loss champ, Big Ten teams are Ohio State and Michigan rooting for like an absolute peak level of yeah. chaos, like Ice Age level yeah. stuff. Okay. So, honestly, I, I'm glad we had the conversation because I started off as a yes, I think it can happen. Now I'm at like a no, probably not. Because it's just too much. You're asking too much. And last year, it was like, Last year, you were also asking for a lot, but you kind of got a miracle as Ohio State. What was different last year was the Big 12 and the ACC didn't have playoff contenders. Yes, except except the Big 12 sent TCU. It was the yeah. Pac-12. Oh, yeah. Pac-12, Pac-12 got left out. Yeah, Pac-12 Utah, TCU, I think Utah TCU lost their conference championship game to Kansas State and then won the first playoff game against Michigan. But TCU did deserve – I mean, even before, they deserved to be in there, going undefeated all the way to the, the conference championship game, and then having to play a team that they had played already once before and to ask them to beat again, that's a tall task in any season. But we saw for the first time a team playing in their conference championship game where it hurt them and not helped them for to get that extra game because Utah was a two-loss team and then thus winning the conference as a two-loss team. There's, there's too many – conferences where there's already one loss or there's going to be too many one or zero loss matchups in these conference championship games this year you guys next year we're going to be talking about who's going to be getting the bye weeks and 
who is going to be hosting. You're going to get a home playoff game. This is going to be crazy. It's going to be nuts. Heck, heck, this is nuts right now. This is this is what the, the playoff committee dreamed of when they made a four-team playoff. It's like, oh, there's going to be three or four teams that are going to be jockeying for you know a couple final spots. In the last year of this stupid playoff system, we finally in, get it. In all, in all honesty, would this not be a great year to have the 12-team playoff? Absolutely. This would last, be the year. The last two years have been picture-perfect years for the playoff committee to say, see, like this is why we need a 12-team playoff. Because it did feel before that, for, for some reason, it's just been perfectly timed. Before, Prior to the last two years, it was like, oh, we've got maybe three teams who are able to win a national title, and then Cincinnati, and then Washington, and then Michigan State. But now it's like Oregon is at sixth in the CFP rankings, and I think they're a legitimate national title contender. I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say this really quick because it, I've been looking at uh, projected matchups and what the predicted lines are for those matchups. Michigan, Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State are by far considered the four best teams in the country. Those four teams match up against each other. There is no double-digit favorite in there. There's not a single one. As soon as you move outside of that, Michigan over Florida State. You guys care to take a guess at how much Michigan's favored in that game? Projected. 11 and a half? 13 and a half. Bro, what? A projected 13 and a half. Their defense is on another level. Their defense is unbelievable. Like, who has Florida State played that comes anywhere close to what Michigan throws on the field? N nobody. Washington. Okay. Washington plays Ohio State. Ohio State is favored by? Ten. Six. Eight and a half. It's the only one that's single digits. I wouldn't agree with that. I think Washington's really, really Ohio good. State's defense is unbelievable. Ohio State's defense is top three in the country. They have an unbelievable defense. And Washington doesn't play defense. I would take Ohio State minus eight and a half in a heartbeat against Washington. I'm going to give it, I, I'm, I'm saying this because I want to cool the Jets on, ooh, a 12 team playoff is going to be the cat's meow. I'm going to give you one more here Alabama. Alabama playing at, oh, I'm sorry. I lost it for a second. I apologize. I, I tapped my screen. This is this is great yeah, for podcast content. Hold yeah. on, but Ethan, I get the point you're trying to make, but when you think about what the first round of the playoff it's going to be, it's not oh, going to be, be great. It's not going to be, be Georgia versus Oregon. It's going to be no. Oregon versus Texas. It's going to be fantastic, and that's the, so. It's a rematch. It's a, a so if Alabama to, were to rematch against Texas, Corey spread. Uh, Alabama would be a seven-point favorite. Wrong. Alex. I was going to say, like, three and a half. Ten. Ten-point favorites. Well, Quinn Ewers is hurt, too, so. He's back. The, no, he's, he's back now. Oh, well, th this was this was posted probably before he was back, so that that could be different. 
I, at least I think he's coming back this week. But, but um, it, anyways, that that's that's beside the point. But the committee, imagine this: if Alabama wins out and wins the SEC, Texas wins out and wins the Big Twelve, and you like who do you, who do you rank higher in the CFP rankings? And do you even have enough room? Let's say Florida State is an undefeated ACC champ. You get a one-loss Bama SEC champ, one-loss Texas conference champ, undefeated Michigan conference champ, and an undefeated Washington Pac-12 champ. Who currently has the best win in the country? Texas on the road against Alabama. Yeah. you you If, if Alabama wins the SEC and Texas wins the Big 12, they're both one-loss teams. I, crazily enough, I think you have to kick Georgia out. I think you yeah. have to. You have to. According to according to and that this is just statistic analysis. This is just like by the numbers. Georgia currently they just blew the doors off of uh, Ole Miss. They only have a fifty four percent chance to make the playoff. Absolutely wild. This is the first year where all five conference champs will more than likely have one loss or less. Yeah, in in Michigan. The crazy thing is, is Michigan currently has the highest percent chance to make the playoff. And this is, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's from FPI. Um, or I'm sorry, not FPI. Uh, pro Football Focus, but it's college Pro Football Focus. Michigan has the highest percent chance to make the playoff currently at 71.4%. And it all comes down to one game. Yeah. Ohio State has over a 50% chance. And see, the other crazy thing, too, is you said that Vegas right now views the four best teams in the country as Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, and Bama. Yes. Only two of those teams are getting in the playoff. Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, three could. Three could. If, if Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, Georgia's resume is disgusting. But not if there's an, an, too many undefeated conference champs. If, if Washington's an undefeated conference champ, they're in, no matter what. They're in. Washington will be in. And then if Texas runs the table from here on out, they are in. No matter what. That would kick Georgia and out. Then, and then Bama and the Big Ten champ. So there's a very real possibility that only two of the teams of the top four teams in Vegas will make the college football playoff. Yeah, we say all then, of this, but then for, that's crazy if Florida Georgia State wins out because then Florida State's undefeated. So then, what are you going to do with them? This is wild. It's bananas. Um, it's bananas. Um, in that situation, but crazily enough. I honest I honestly believe that because Texas has the win over Alabama on the road, a one loss team will get it. Florida State's schedule has been charming soft. And it's They've not their fault. No one. Clemson's garbage. They almost lost that game. The committee will take that into account. They they would get left out. Florida State would one hundred in my mind. I would have no doubt watching that college football like presentation, like who's into the playoff. An undefeated ACC champion would get left out of the playoff. 
in that very, very, very specific situation, mind you. But there aren't terrible odds of that situation playing out. Um, Michigan goes undefeated. They're in. Alabama beats Georgia. They're in. Texas wins out and Washington wins out. And FSU wins out. Holy smokes. The playoff committee would be blowing their brains out that they didn't make the playoff bigger one year sooner because the ACC would burn to the ground. The ACC would lose their minds if that was the case. Yeah, if Florida State and Clemson didn't want to leave the ACC bad enough already, if that happened, they'd be like, get me the heck out of here. Okay, we've we've talked about the college football landscape at large, but like we said, this affects the Big Ten, and even if it doesn't, God, how freaking crazy is this? This is what happens in November. See, we've been cheering for a very elite football team and a very mid-conference, so... September and October were like, eh, and now things are just. This is prime time college football. Wait, you just said in a you just said in a very elite conference. There are two elite teams in an otherwise wasteland of a conference. No, he said mid conference. He said two elite teams in a mid conference. Oh, big conference. Okay, sorry. I just had to roast the Big Ten really quick. Sometimes it be your own, man. Sometimes it be your own. But okay, let's talk about what happened on the field this week, actually in the conference that we choose to cover. Uh, Let's talk about the big one. Big noon kickoff, Michigan, Penn State. Michigan goes into Happy Valley without Jim Harbaugh. We'll get to that in a little bit. And beats Penn State 24-15. to Crushing... The hopes of uh, those in Happy Valley who really thought that switching out Sean Clifford for Drew Aller was going to be the trick. And it was not the trick in this one. Really, Penn State didn't do a whole lot on offense. So much so that, did you guys see this? Penn State actually fired their offensive coordinator after this game. He is out. They've elevated their running backs coach and somebody else to 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 co-handle play calling duties from here on out but i mean this game was played on michigan's terms this was a defensive battle this was a ground and pound game michigan played this game on their terms they were the team that made the adjustments early because they kind of figured out pretty quickly that that penn state's pass rush was going to be a problem they beefed up their formations they put in the big boys and they ran the ball to the point that they ran it oh 32 straight times in the second half, did not attempt a forward pass, and still won this game. Absolutely crazy. Corey, I'll go to you first. Your thoughts, your your breakdown of what happened. James Franklin is a fraud. Um, the man seemingly convinces people every year that he is a good football coach, and the second that he gets an opportunity to prove it, uh, he just kind of fumbles it away, um, poops his pants a little bit. The The idea that Michigan running the ball 32 times in the second half, um, it being a bad thing for their offense is so 
unbelievable to me because all the crap about like the sign stealing stuff, you know what play is coming, you know everything that's coming our way. Um, you knew that they were going to run the ball 32 times, and yet you could not stop the offense from moving forward. <laughs> and I don't know what to do but laugh because they were they were literally laying their their nuts on the table saying you cannot stop us right now and they didn't but i i think my biggest takeaway outside of the run game finally you know coming alive in this game michigan's defense and specifically their interior linemen were unbelievable in this game everybody's going to talk about the the play from grant running down uh uh was it singleton or allen i can't remember it was Allen. Uh, that play was spectacular, but uh, Grant was all over the field even in the first half. I think he had two or three tackles for loss on the first two drives, and he was getting in the backfield like crazy. Uh, Graham was Graham has been exceptional throughout the entirety of this year as well, and then uh, Grant had his coming out party, and it seems like a lot of the pressure that we're getting on running backs and quarterbacks is coming from not the outside but the interior linemen, and that is going to be key as they move forward in the, into the meat of their schedule and hopefully the college football playoff. This was just one of those situations where <clears throat> um, I, preseason, I thought Penn State was going to be a different team throughout the year. Drew Aller and that offense showed time and time again that in big situations and in in an in a situation where you have to have offense that shows up that they could they could not show up and they couldn't they they really couldn't establish the run and trying to watch them pass the ball was like jabbing needles into my eyes because they were so awful throwing the football. Drew Allard on multiple different occasions chucked the ball to nobody, uh, the ground, and so far out of bounds that he got called for an intentional grounding. And then Michigan just said, we are ha we're actually having success in the past game. JJ McCarthy was seven of eight, um, but they just stopped throwing the football because they didn't need to throw the football. And I mean, we can only say it so many times, but running the ball the way that they ran the football was absolutely incredible. And give that offensive line, give Blake Corum all the credit in the world. They absolutely deserve it. That was uh, a road thrashing of an inferior opponent. That's what Penn State is to Ohio State and Michigan. And Michigan went out and proved that on the road in very, very convincing fashion. Yeah, James Franklin, it wasn't just that they didn't win this game. He also made some really boneheaded game management decisions. The, the going the going for two when your team is going to be down by nine if you don't get it and the game is over like just kick the extra point and give your at least give your team a a glimmer of hope like we're down by one score you know 
Is there any chance we're marching down the field again and scoring? No. Is Michigan giving us the ball back? No. But, like, give your guys some hope. What? And then the play call for the two-point conversion. It looked like the it looked like the Indianapolis Colts fake punt from years ago. Um, um but you would have thought you would have thought that Penn State was the team that had lost their head coach twenty hours before the game, given the decisions that were being made. Because it wasn't just the two point conversions. The he went for it on a very strange fourth down, too. I think it was the fourth fourth and five. Fourth and five in the first half. Am I right when I say that? Are you? Talk- I think I'm talk- talking about the drive right before they scored the touchdown. They went for it on fourth and six at their own thirty. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, I I don't know. I think a lot of people were talking about the uh, the going for two in the fourth quarter as being the big problem because. I think the the rule of thumb is that you go for two the first time when you're down because then you figure out like if you'll need to go for it the second time. Like so you'll get two opportunities to get the two points. So I think that one was like okay, but in the first No, half, not in this not in this instance, Corey, you don't. In this instance, it is in this instant it's you have to you if you don't get the two point conversion, you're still down by two scores. They didn't get the two point conversion and they were down by nine. If they get the two if they if they just kick the extra point, they're only down by eight. So you're for sure only down one possession at that point. It made no sense. It made zero sense. But what killed them is that they went for two in the first half. If they would have just kicked the field goal then, then they wouldn't have had to be faced with this decision in the first place. So but still, like either either opportunity you're gonna need to go for two at some point if you're trying to win the game. That's why people would say go for it on the first time, but you wouldn't have even been in that situation if you would have just kicked the stupid field goal when you needed points in the first half. So, I mean, I think we're all in agreement that these play calls didn't make sense the majority of the time. No, they didn't. And so not only do you feel like, you know, if you're a Penn State fan, it's like not only do you feel like you have a coach and a scheme that might not be maximizing the talents of the players, but also... He's getting out coached by interim stand-in head coaches on the other sideline in big games at home. That cannot happen. That cannot happen. Penn State has too much talent. They have too many resources. They have too great facilities. They recruit too well to have the kind of record he does against Michigan and Ohio State. Um, there's got to be something else we want to talk about from this game. You had the Sharon Moore post-game presser, which people have been kind of making fun of him for. But, I, I I, mean, I dug it. Can you imagine being in his shoes, to be honest? Like, your school is in the middle of multiple NCAA investigations. You've been ridiculed by the fan, not the fan base, but fans across the country for having a super soft schedule. You're about to go into the toughest game of the season to this point on the road against the top 10 team and you find out no more than 20 hours before kickoff that, Oh, here's the keys. You're the guy you, you have to go do it now with the pressure on your shoulders, with people trying to discredit your success for the past two years, you've got to go reclaim it now. 
that's a ton of pressure to heap on a guy the day before a game on the plane ride. I agree, and I think even more so the news of how the team found out uh, the commissioner laying down the suspension uh, to the press before he even contacts the team uh, was pretty mm, sleazy, uh, to say the least. Kudos to Sharon Moore, uh, because I, I think in the earlier part of the season, of the three interim coaches for the first suspension, the performance was the least convincing I would say, uh, against Bowling Green. But that's mostly due to like McCarthy's struggles and some sloppy play. Uh, but, man, Sharon Moore, super impressive in this game, especially with the short uh, turnaround. Uh, and he earned himself another spot if Harbaugh's uh, suspension is upheld uh, for this weekend. And he deserves it. Truly, he does. How to guarantee yourself to be getting head coaching offers at the end of a season? Have a performance like that when you have to step in last minute to be the head coach for your for your team and then have an interview that endears you to your players like he did at the end of that game. Not saying that like I was like a super huge fan of it or whatever. I mean, it, he was super emotional. That's totally fine. It was it was the Ryan Day interview where he ripped Lou Holtz like his players and his team and his fans loved it. And that's all that matters. Exactly. So it's just, it's one of those things where he's going to get head coaching job looks and in large part because of what happened in this game. So, um, and yeah, I mean, there's a huge, there's a very large possibility that he's going to be the head coach for the last two games of the season. So of the regular season. So it, it, you know, he's got to keep it going. So let's talk about the suspension for a minute or two. I know we have other games to talk about, but this was obviously the biggest game with the biggest story in the country. So Tony Petiti, I I think, Corey, you, you said it well. I think this was a sleazy, uh, dirty, and weak way to handle handing down the suspension to Jim Harbaugh. Basically, you had from any time Wednesday to Friday to hand out the suspension. You not not only did you wait until Friday, you waited till they were on the plane on their way to Happy Valley. Also, very convenient that it happened to be a holiday weekend, so that you know courts weren't open and it was going to make it very difficult for Michigan to file their injunction to allow Harbaugh to coach that weekend. It felt, it felt very, very calculated by Petiti in a very manipulative and intentional way, which is very strange considering you've you haven't been the commissioner for six months. I don't think you definitely haven't been the Big Ten commissioner for a year, and you're making enemies with maybe the biggest brand in the conference. I think it's a huge mistake by him, and I think it's a super bad look to make enemies of Michigan when you're first year on the job. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'm probably going to be the most middle of the road on this that um, that I can be. I'm going to try to be in, in the middle as much as I can be. I think Michigan trying to play 
only the victim in this whole situation can't do that. Like we can't do that because obviously some stuff has gone on that isn't great. So don't take that route. However, having said that, what the big 10 did was this is clearly them taking shots at Jim Harbaugh. And I think Petiti was very upset that he got lambasted the way he did in that meeting. And this was his way of kind of saying, don't put me in a situation like that again. Um, so I think it's a lot of, it's a lot of teenage stylish drama happening at a very elevated level. And I mean, it now it's just going to come down to whether or not the injunction comes through because it really is just, it, it, it's so outrageous for it to happen the way that it happened for a conference to suspend a coach, the way that they suspended Harbaugh is ridiculous for Michigan to react the way that they did. It galvanized the team. So I love it. I, did I really like, was I super like, Oh yeah. Like this has got to get us fired up. Blah, blah, blah. Like, no, I'm sitting at my couch at home. You know, I'm just like, please still win the game, you know? Uh, but I think from, from a Michigan perspective, it, it really just felt crummy for it to happen the way that it happened. Like you said, Alex, do it on Monday or do it on Wednesday, you know, do it before, before they get on the plane, before, you know, he even has to travel, whatever, uh, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's the way it happened was just straight up. Not right. It should not have happened the way that it happened. Well, it's just unprofessional too. And if you, you're, you're wanting to take this investigation seriously, which it should be. I think, Ethan, you're spot on that playing the victim is not the way Michigan should play this, even though they are right now. Like, that's, that's a fact. They are completely buying into this. However, uh, do you, do you sorry, sorry, Corey, I'm going to let you finish. Do you think they're playing the victim? Because to me, it just seems like they're asking Petiti to let the NCAA investigation finish like i i see the victim mentality more so from the team but like ethan said that's for them to be motivated and play with an edge and stuff like that i don't necessarily see the victim card being played by like the president of the university i i kind of do I, i'm and i just gave you my opinion but i i think it's i think it's the university as a whole i think it's pretty obvious to see that they're playing the victim card yeah, they're talking about finding due process, and then Harbaugh this week was talking about, you know, I want to state my case. I don't want any special treatment. I don't want this. I don't want that. I just want my spot to be heard out. And it's like, well, we kind of got into this spot in the first place because there was some shady stuff going around in the in the program, to at least a certain extent. However, going back to the issue at hand, your th the Big Ten is thinking Michigan is treating this as not a big deal. Then you have the opposition who are treating this like it's the biggest deal in all of the world. So at the end of the day, you're going to want to treat this investigation or issue at hand as seriously as possible. And you wait until the coach gets on the plane. That was documented. They were on the tarmac and all of this stuff. And then you break the news. 
If you're taking something seriously, you go up to the person, you say, hey, we're going to suspend you. This is not taking it seriously. This is like, oh, he's on the plane, LOL, wait till he gets off, like, see ya. That doesn't happen. That just clearly does not happen in the realm of professionalism. And that's, regardless of if Michigan is in the wrong, that's bull crap. Like, seriously. I agree. I think that's a great way to phrase this. It doesn't have anything to do with whether or not Michigan broke an NCAA rule, which they did. It just has to do with respecting the process and respecting Michigan. And I don't think Tony Petiti did either of those things. Okay, let's get to the rest of these games. So uh, Ohio State takes care of business against Michigan State. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this because this is what we expected. And and at this point in the season, we're spending way more time talking about CFP stuff than actual games. But uh, Travion Henderson, he looks like the old Travion Henderson. He is an absolute difference maker. And I think Ohio State is playing some of their best and healthiest football right now. He had 63 yards and a touchdown. Marvin Harrison had 149 yards and two touchdowns. And then Kyle McCord tore up Michigan State, which everybody has. He threw for 335 and three touchdowns. Ohio State cruises. Um, Iowa Rutgers, boys. So Iowa wins which means, Corey, they only have to win one of their last two games to clinch the West, correct? Correct, Amundo. Okay, well, so this game was the record over under. The under hit, not in a way I would have expected. We actually, none of us expected this, because yet we all picked the under, but we also all picked Rutgers to win this game. And Rutgers, this is kind of a pathetic effort by Rutgers, and in my opinion, I know Iowa's got a great defense, but but to get out blown out twenty two nothing by this offense is kind of pathetic. Well, it's because Iowa suffocated Rutgers, and for the most part this season, we've talked about it for it seems like three weeks. Rutgers is very one dimensional in the fact that they run the ball, and if Iowa knows that they're going to run the ball, they're going to suffocate that out and make Wimsat pass and. Very clearly, uh, that did not work for Rutgers very well at all. I want to see the final stats here because I was able to watch this game a little bit. Rutgers had seven first downs in this game and only 127 total yards. They had 34 rushing yards. This is a team that is one of the better rushing teams in the Big Ten, and yet under 50, that's absolutely incredible. Kudos to Iowa. I'm cheering for you. Get that last win. Get to the get to Indy. I think the I think the the one of the major factors in this game was the immaturity of Rutgers. And it, it just felt like a team that once they got behind, there was almost some give up in that team. It felt like offensively, like you saw a lot of hands going up in the air and Oh, you know, like the, the giant head shakes and that kind of stuff. And it's like to beat a team like Iowa, you have to understand that they, they are not an offensive juggernaut and it's okay to punt the ball. It's okay to not score on every possession, but it felt like Rutgers got super frustrated very early in this game and then never rebounded. They never got anything going offensively. It's like, you have to stick with your game plan 
against a team like Iowa. And it just kind of felt like there was no, there was never a point where it felt like the momentum could turn or they could, you know, they, they sprung a play or anything like that. And you have to give Iowa credit because defensively they put the chokehold on you, like Corey said, but it just kind of felt like Rutgers gave in. Yeah, that was really disappointing. Another super disappointing team, uh, a team I planted my flag on. I need to stop doing that. This is just a kiss of death for these teams in the Big Ten West for me. Wisconsin gets handled pretty pretty badly by Northwestern. Northwestern wins 24-10. to 10. Now, Wisconsin's not totally healthy, although Tanner Mordecai was back for this game, uh, and Braylon Allen did get a few carries. But it seems like there's some other stuff going on at Wisconsin. I actually saw some tweets from some players about stuff going on in the locker room and guys kind of saying, you know, Luke Fickle was definitely held a tone of like, you know, coach has got to coach better, all that stuff, pretty much coach speak. But then there was a player who actually said, like, this is not on the coaches. Like, guys got to kind of figure out if they want to be here or not. So it feels like there's a there's some things going on in the locker room there. Um, that I definitely didn't expect. And it seems like Luke Fickle's got some culture implementation to do, um, which you would have hoped that would have happened by now. But now we got two weeks left in the season, and it almost feels like gut check time. Not uncommon when you're a first-year coach at a big program like that, where a lot of the guys who you're going in to coach got recruited at a very high level. <clears throat> and when their head coach gets fired and you don't really have the option of, oh, my coach is going to a new school. Let me follow him. No, he got fired. So what do I do? Um, I, I'm not, I'm, I am not surprised that it's happening. I guess I'm just surprised of the timing that it's happening this late in the season, but I would, I guess now that it is happening, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a fairly large transfer portal exodus from Wisconsin come early December when the window opens back up. I'd be really interested to see if uh, some of these players use the bowl game as a tryout for other schools, or if they just say, you know what, we've already got all of our tape that we need and we're just going to enter the portal right now. Uh, Cause it, in a way, Wisconsin is heading into that Michigan State territory of we just got to get to the end of the season and regroup here and figure out what we have left. Not to the extent, given other situations that are going around, but still, I saw that uh, that video of the Wisconsin player as well, and that's that's a big yikes. But usually, uh, the end of the year uh, clears up a lot of that air. And the one good thing for Fickle, right, is if that guy is saying that out loud, that means you. You do have some of the locker room who's super bought in, that guy included. You just got to trim the fat in order to really get your vision going at a new destination. What might have been, actually, you no, know, it wasn't. Michigan-Penn State was the most electric game. But the most surprisingly electric game was Indiana-Illinois. This one went to overtime. was a super great game. Uh, Illinois ends up winning 48-45. to 45. Uh these teams put up yards, man. Illinois had 662 total yards of offense. Indiana put up 451. Uh, Indiana's been playing really good football lately. Uh, super great game. They were 
slinging it around and doing almost whatever they wanted. And then um, there was a pass to Isaiah Williams for the walk-off touchdown in, in overtime, which was pretty dope. I got to watch that. Maryland stops the bleeding. They finally get a win, 13-10 over Nebraska. So they will not go 0-7 to end the year like we thought was a possibility. They will make a bowl game. Um, but will they get more than six wins? I don't know. And not this week. You, you know what? I do have something to say. This is a curse on the Maryland football team because Loxley did not commit to the Mayo bath in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. This is all on them. I've traced it all the way back to that. What a coward. Did they lose that game? No, they won. And the, the winning coach gets a Mayo bath, and he put on a big hat because he didn't want to be covered in Mayo. Like, come on, Loxley. No wonder your team is soft. You can't even face a tub of mayo. You kidding me? How are you going to expect them to get in the trenches on the field? Despicable. I would, I would, I would take a mayo bath for my team to win a ball game. I would do it if I was a head coach. I would do it. Last game of the week was Minnesota Purdue. Corey, the Boilermakers. Look at what we have here. Dare, dare I say, the Boilers are back? Probably not. They're not back. They just, they just, they did their boiler make spoiler maker routine, ruined some hopes and dreams for PJ Fleck, and uh, smell you later because this guy's going to be fired very soon. Uh, uh, real quick, just to just to hone in on Purdue specifically, we were just talking about the Wisconsin situation with culture. Talk about building a good culture. That team is starting to play better and better and better as the season has gone on. Defensively, they look fantastic. They looked great for two and a half quarters against Michigan defensively. And offensively, they are starting to absolutely pick it up as well. All right, everybody. That does it. Actually, I should give the final score for that game. Purdue won 49 to 30. That does it for the Big Ten games this week. And... Look, I know this episode was weird. We talked way more about college football playoff scenarios and Michigan and Ohio State than we did, and Michigan Penn State than we did at anything else in the rest of the conference. But people, this is what we're going to do to to end out this year. We've got to talk about the stuff that's really relevant and really matters. We'll talk about the Big Ten championship game, obviously, but we basically know it's going to be Iowa against Michigan or Ohio State at this point. Like, so we're starting to narrow in on the teams that really have stuff to play for throughout the rest of this season. So um, if you like it, please subscribe, please follow and like, uh, like us, review us wherever you're listening. Make sure you follow on the socials and uh, tune in for the next episode this week for all the picks. We'll see you then. Peace.